What can I say about this one? Uh, we got Michelle Scarabelli playing the guest star. She does a good role. She does a good job with the role. Um, this was Patrick Stewart's directing debut, which I only point out because it's actually funny. Star Trek, with very few exceptions, usually does a thing where they specifically assign directorial roles only as the exception. For the most part, it's about lots, and Stewart happened to be up, and he happened to draw his lot, and this is his episode. A very simple and easy episode to, to cut your teeth on, <laughs> but, you know, whatever. And again, unlike, say, Livingston last episode, obviously Stewart doesn't really have a lot of directorial experience, so I'm with him. This episode was also written by a team combo of Minoski and Moore, Joe Minoski and Ronald D. Moore, and uh, it's not a good episode. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I don't like this episode. I feel like it fails on two fronts, and it's funny because even the writers themselves admit, eh, this didn't really work out that well, although their reasons for disliking it are slightly different than mine. Here's the thing. They had to have the A plot and the B plot. Now, I've been complaining about the A-plot, B-plot thing for like five years now in real lifetime, or however long it's been. Uh, I'm pretty sure the first time I brought this up was way way back in The Swarm, which would have been Season 3 Voyager, I believe. It's just, it's an issue. It's a huge issue. It's been an issue forever. It, it hampers the, the storytelling. Because they had the story idea of Data entering into a romantic relationship, which they've had for a while now, by the way. They've been shopping this around for a long time. I've pointed out previous episodes where it was supposed to happen, and it ended up not happening. So this is when they finally actually managed to make this work. Then they were told, okay, now you need to make a threat of the week thing. And it's like, okay. So they come up with this subspace fissure thing. And you know how much I don't care about the subspace fissure thing? I have exactly one, two, three, four, five. No. Four. <laughs> I have exactly four notes about the, the A plot, the threat of the week. And I'll just go through them really quick for you. So first we see Spot getting out. Then we see Picard's desk get kind of debride. And he says, let's urge caution. Then at about the 26-minute mark, there's a planet that's not there, but then it's there. Um, then at the 34-minute and 27-second mark, then uh, Matter dies horribly. And I, I point that out because that always stuck with me back in the day. She really does die horribly. She's basically bisected. Although she shouldn't be frozen like that. She should be slumped. But whatever, I get the point. The visual effect was apparently very hard to pull off. So they, they had to kind of have her be very still in order to you know preserve the, the visual effect. Whatever. Um, the end. That's all I've got. I mean, I could mention how ridiculous it is that, for example, these pockets, which are being mentioned to being phasing in and out of reality, having a ship going ahead wouldn't really do anything good because then it might phase out but then phase in behind the shuttle. I mean, the Enterprise is kind of a long ship, right? Uh, and we see on the, the scanner, these are very dense. This is not exactly an asteroid field. Excuse me, a real-life asteroid field. It's more like a Hollywood asteroid field, so they're everywhere. The end. It's dumb. It's boring. Moving on. I don't like the data plot either, though. Let me explain why, though, because I really want to build up to this part. First of all, before I go any further, though, they mentioned they're exploring this nebula, this uncharted nebula. Last episode, they were on the border of the Klingons and the Federation, right about here on the galactic map. Next episode, they'll be on, well, they'll be in Klingon territory. Where's an uncharted nebula down here? I, I'm, just, I'm just poking fun. Um, 
You ever, you ever heard the rule, don't date your coworkers? I'm sure you've heard of that rule, but what I find strange is most people don't actually explain why that rule exists. One of the biggest reasons in my experience slash observation, mostly observation, I've only dated a coworker uh, once, I guess, actually, now that I'm thinking about it. Let me double check that. Yeah, just the one time. Uh, is because once you have broken up, because statistically speaking, you're likely to break up and not stay together forever, you have to keep dealing with that person in the office. And that's just awkward in addition to uncomfortable and possibly actually unpleasant for you, for them, or for both. And so we see here that... Oh my god, I forgot her name. Ladyface. Who's she playing this? Um, Desora. Jenna Desora. Ladyface. I'm going to go with Ladyface. She's, she had to encounter her ex in a turbo lift because, I mean, it's a ship of a thousand people. Like I said, you know, it's the apartment complex. You're going to run into people there. And he's like, oh, hey, you want to go out? And that, of course, leads to its own series of recriminations and problems. So let's not get into that. Then Data actually starts listing off all the reasons why they broke up and, of course, starts doing research with regards to romantic couples. Now, that's actually kind of cool. As I have pointed out many, many times, Data, just because he does not have emotions, does not mean he doesn't understand concepts. And one of those biggest concepts, and I've said this so many times going through the series of ruminations, is value. Data values her. And he says this multiple times in this episode. And Data values things or purposes or whatever. He may not like them in the strategic in, in the, the technical sense, from a human perspective, he may not have an emotional response, but he still finds this to be a positive thing, and therefore something that he desires, right? I mean, this even came up with Ashara Yar, for example. So I point this out, because he obviously does value Miss Desora, Miss Ladyface Desora, that's her new name. I point that out because that's in very significant contrast to later, but I'll get to that in a second. So then they go to a concert where they're playing. That's a nice touch, too. It's another aspect of the setting continuity thing I bring up as we go along. I like the idea that this ship of people who, you know, commiserate with each other over long periods of time, because most people live on this ship, would do things to interact with each other on a social level. I mentioned the possibility of martial arts contests or, you know, triathlons or whatever. We've already seen they do painting classes. This, of course, being the idea of them doing musical class, you know, musical performances and projects. I just like that. That's all I wanted to say. It's just a nice touch to help continue flesh things out. It's a very Moore kind of a touch to this sort of thing. Then, data, Data's analysis and overall understanding of human interactions is obviously getting better. He actually successfully tells a joke in this episode. It's so strange, because no one seems to notice that. And again, I'm pointing this out because it's showing how Data has developed over the years. Because that's important for a point I'm going to be leading up to here. He, then... Specifically, the joke I'm referring to is when he, Keiko and O'Brien are there, and he's there with Jenna, and he says, and I did a fine good job of it, too. Exaggerated wink, and he even got them to chuckle. He even got me to chuckle. So then it gets to where they're working on the torpedo again, and he says, no, I have no human feelings. And yet she makes several comments about how he's the perfect mate. I could make my own joke here because there's an episode coming up about the perfect mate, and let's not get into that. But he demonstrates multiple times that he obviously has interest in her. I shouldn't say interest, that's probably the wrong word. Again, he values her. I don't have a better word for that. He considers her a net positive. 
and yet she does what is basically a very typical case of anthropomorphism. Anthropomorphism, excuse me, with him. Now, I know the, the flipper is going to look a little weird, so I'm not going to cover it with my hand to make it look nicer. This is a little normal. It's called Whale Man. He says hi. Now, I could tell you all about the backstory of this guy and where he came from and who gave him to me and all sorts of stuff like that, right? Now, that is basically anthropomorphism in a nutshell. I, a human being who has a real fleshed-out sentient sapient mind and emotions and feelings to go with that, possibly a soul if that actually exists, we're not sure, actually I wouldn't have a soul even if it did exist, but let's not get into that either, can look at this and say, th and, and basically react and act to this as if this is a person, okay? Anthropomorphism. You with me? Now, there's actually several other types of things that can be called, like personification could be called this, and uh, zoo-somethingism is another thing that can be considered this. Regardless, the point is, I'm, I am treating this clearly non-sentient sapient thing as if it actually has some kind of human equivalent. That's the important part. Treating this as if it is like me. Now, we do this all the time throughout many aspects of human society. We do this with pets. We do this with, with tools. How many times have you been driving a car like, oh, come on, car, I know you're angry at me, you know? We all do this to several extents. This is not an unhealthy thing so long as I always keep in mind that this is a stuffed animal. It's, it's just a stuffed animal. There's, there's nothing to it. I'm sorry, I didn't mean that you're so good. You get my point, right? That's important, because that is the crux of the episode, or at least what I think should have been the crux of the episode. The episode should have been her looking at Data and saying, he's like me, anthropomorphizing him, and presuming the kind of emotional connections of love and affection that are not there. And then that causing an issue, as she basically is expecting of him what he cannot give, and he does value her and thus wishes to pursue something that he cannot fulfill his half of the bargain on, right? But there's nothing necessarily wrong with this, and that's the point I wanted to lead with, because as long as you are cognizant of this, as long as she was aware that Data doesn't have emotion and really was properly treating him as Data, I think this actually could have worked. In fact, to be completely blunt, I think a relationship, a romantic relationship with Data, long-term would have worked better than one with Odo. I have actually already spoken my opinion on that matter, both on DS9 and on TNG, but I want to reiterate that I actually thought that if Data had begun a long-term romantic entanglement with Tasha Yar, I think that would have made sense for a lot of reasons that I've already stated. It's obvious that he does, and even to this day, does still value her as an entity, and, well, I've already made up my point on that. But instead we have this. Now, this is where the episode starts to lose me. Well, no, that's not true. Because now we have seven minutes to pass. Now, I, I bring that strange fact up. I know you're thinking, why that? Because it's a significant chunk of the episode that happens without interruption as Data goes from crew member to crew member asking advice on what to do with regards to Jenna. I like this. This is actually, in my opinion, probably the strongest moment in the entire episode. Because this is excellent characterization for all of these characters through the lens of data. It's, there's a term for this, and I can't think of it right now because I'm kind of out of it, please forgive me. It's the, it's the thing where you basically characterize someone else because of how they react to the, to the protagonist or viewpoint character or whatever's actually happening right now. So their reactions to their advice to data helps to showcase each of these characters, right? So we see Jordy, who obviously wants to help, and he can't quite figure out, maybe you should do this, but it's kind of great, but maybe it's not awesome. And he just kind of stumbles over it, which is very Jordy. 
Uh, I actually skipped over this, please forgive me, because we actually start off with Guinan. Guinan is immediately intrigued. I think, this is just headcanon, I think that Guinan's with me on this, that the idea of Data being in a romantic relationship makes sense. That it's not something to be... Because I've heard some people, real-life people, say, you can't have Data have a romance. I don't agree with that. And I, I, I think Guinan doesn't agree with that either. I think she looks at this like, go on. Like she actively wants to know more about this, and she's genuinely curious about this. She, she hands off it, though, because she doesn't want to mess it up or, or basically cause what actually happened to happen. Then we go to Troy. Troy approaches it like the psychologist. She says you need to be careful, you need to be cautious. This is a much more difficult and dangerous situation, but that does not mean you shouldn't do it. She approaches it from a very moderate perspective, which makes sense for Troy. You know, just because something is dangerous doesn't make it wrong. It just means you have to be careful, right? Then we go to Worf. Yes! Conquer! Take what you want! Oh, one more thing, Commander. She reports to me. I will be very upset if you hurt her, sir. Which is a great scene, but again gets across part of Worf's perspective. As I've said many times, Worf in the red uniform made a lot of sense over on DS9. And the idea of Worf being basically a natural leader is something that's always kind of made sense to me. And this is a good way of showcasing that. He obviously cares a great deal about those under his command. Why wouldn't he? Then we go to Riker. Go for it! Of course Riker says go for it. But what I like is he doesn't say go for it because he's, you know, a hornball or whatever. But because his general attitude is she knows what she's getting into. She has, already, she has acknowledged and accepted that you are a person that she wants to be with who cannot be, you know, she knows that you're emotionless. She knows you're an android. And she, as a informed adult, has made her choice. Therefore, you should respect that choice and reciprocate if it's your, if it's your choice as well. I kind of like that perspective. It is, of course, wrong. <laughs> Let me explain what I mean by that. See, the reason I say that is wrong is because, as I've already pointed out, she's not making an informed choice as a well-reasoned, you know, informed adult. She is making a very uh, foolish choice as someone who is on a rebound from a relationship. <sighs> Unfortunately, I do have some experience with rebound relationships, uh, both personal and from observational, and uh, they're not good. They're almost universally not good. And I shouldn't even have to explain why. It is an extremely logical thing for those to not be good. Because you just get out of a relationship, you are not in the emotional state to be trying to engage in a long-term anything with anyone else, especially at that, that level of depth of intimacy or affection. So, in other words, Riker is actually inaccurate, to be more, more specific about my word choice, because she's not just... If, if this had just happened, if there was no rebound, if she had just approached him and said, I'd really like to date you, then Riker would be fully correct. And that's why I like it, because it's an interesting perspective to have. Finally, we have Picard, which is, of course, the joke. Data, as soon as I have any advice on how women think, I'll let you know. So, seven, I'm reason I mentioned that seven minutes thing. That is 15% of the episode's runtime. I, I, I counted. <laughs> Dedicated towards Data getting advice from the crew members, which is good. And it's a nice big chunk of the episode. It's... Not as much time as is dedicated to the B-plot, but it's close. Which, again, makes my other point that the, the, the other plot, the Thread of the Week plot, is just vacuous. No pun intended. So, then two things happen in short order, which is, this is when the episode loses me. The first thing is Data does... 
Data regresses to pre-season two. I would say Data regresses to season one. That aggravates me. Data's had character growth. Data has developed. He has been proven to be a sentient, sapient being. He has had inter-relations inter of friendship and romantic level with other people. He has grown to value new people. He's, he's developed a child since then. This is not season one data anymore, and yet he, in every way, is acting as if all he understands is the, is the surface level. Let me make my point by quoting data. They would be reduced, paraphrase, they would be reduced to the mere facts of the events. The substance, the flavor of the moment, could be lost. This is what Data said to uh, Bruce Maddox all the way back in A Measure of Man, season two. It's around two, two and a half, actually, years ago at this point. The whole point of that was that there was a nuance of reality, an experience that simply did not convey to linear data, pun intended. And he understood that, and that was actually one of his primary arguments for why he didn't want himself to be transferred into a new brain, because the, his basic idea, as he was postulating it, was that data would die, memories of data would live, but data, the entity, would cease, right? So the data that understands concepts like nuance, flavor, depth, and subtlety is not the data we see here. Now, you could argue he has no experience with romantic relationships, which is debatable. But regardless, if we are to presume that is true, I still think data has developed enough to understand that nuance exists. Remember, earlier in this episode, he successfully told a joke. It's not like data hasn't been developing, right? It's not like through constant observation and experimentation that he hasn't gotten to the point where he actually can understand some of the more dynamic aspects of human existence. And yet, they just kind of revert to season one data for basically a sight gag. Hello, honey. Puts his arm very roughly around her. How are you? Which, of course, leads me to the other problem. Because shortly after that, data comes in, and I swear to God for a second it was lore. No, not me. The other lore. <laughs> Because he just says, hey, baby, how are things going on? Yeah, everything's cool. You are truly the most beautiful. Blah, blah, blah. And then when that doesn't go well, he immediately switches to yelling. The one and only good thing about that scene for me was that he would occasionally revert back to being data in the middle of his reciting lines. Now, I kind of get the idea of him reciting lines, but I, again, feel like this is the sort of thing... That is wrong, basically. I, I, I can't buy Data doing this. You know what I could buy Data doing? And I think would have made the episode more interesting? Have Data go to her and have her help him develop this subroutine, this program, which will be designed with her in mind. And have her slowly realize over the course of the episode that she is more or less literally building her own boyfriend. And have her realize how unfair that is of her and how a disservice that is to him. And then, of course, have them try to do things, eject the program entirely. Just have the two interact together in a close level with a romantic tint, but without the romantic program, just Data being Data with his natural valuing of her. And then probably having it not work because we can't have long-term consequences or continuity on this show, but you get the point. I think that would have worked a lot better than trying a program on his own, which failed, trying another program on his own, which failed, and then, of course, the whole thing falls apart. 
I do want to see... I do want to say one thing really quick here. There's a bit where they kiss, and she says, what were you thinking about when you kissed? I've been asked that question before. I actually imagine several of you have, too. Always feels like a trap question, doesn't it? Because I really relate to data on that. One of the biggest problems I have is my mind is always going a million miles an hour. I am thinking about so many things at any given point in time. It's actually legitimately difficult for me to focus on a singular thing at a time. It's one of the reasons why it takes so much out of me to do these videos, because I have to force myself to focus on just Star Trek, and specifically this episode, for you know, 20, 40, 60 minutes at a time. And that is tasking. It's one of the reasons why, as soon as I finish recording, I just plop my head in the bed and just go, right after this, right? I'm not complaining. Don't misunderstand. I'm just stating... I get that feeling of Data and his, all of the things that were going through his mind as he was kissing her, because it's kind of how I tend to be. And, of course, she is hurt by that. She tries not to let it show. Again, she does a good job, the actress. But she is hurt by that because she was only in the top five or whatever of thoughts that he was thinking while they were kissing. Now, this brings me to the finale where she, she and he broke up, break up, and she gives the why. What I find most interesting is that she is both correct and incorrect in, in effectively the same sentence. I don't really matter to you, she says, which is wrong. She does, in fact, matter to him a great deal. Um, data doesn't process mattering or significance or consequence the same way we do. For him, it's all about attention and effort. As I've said many, many times, value. He obviously does value her. He has gone to great efforts throughout the course of this entire episode to try and please her, to try and do something that he believes will be a good thing for her. And even prior to the episode, he obviously does care in his own androidy way, with the looking into the romantic thing, the reminding her of things, and just basically being there for her as her friend, because he values her friendship. She does matter to him. But then she mentions the second thing. I can't make you happy or sad. I can have no emotional impact on you. To which I want to say, duh. But in all seriousness, she is right about that. Because, and this brings me back to my anthropomorphism thing. What she wanted was what this cannot provide. And that was the core problem. Not of the episode, but rather for her. And I, that, I think, is one of the greater strengths of the episode, that the episode makes it clear that, she, that it's not really Data or that he can't have a romantic entanglement, although he basically never will again, but rather the idea that she wanted from him what he was not capable of giving. That, as I mentioned with the Riker thing, she walked into this uninformed and made a foolish choice. And thus the episode concludes. Oh, and some random green shirt died. Nobody cares about, though, because nobody cares when people die on this show. I'm sorry, that's never going to stop bugging me. They go in to explore a nebula and some ensign just dies. And no one ever mentions it again. This, it drives me crazy when that happens. Anyways, I hope that despite everything you've enjoyed, next week we conclude Season 4 with Redemption. I'll see you around, guys.